Hi, welcome back to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. I'm Robbie. I'd like to thank my newest patron, Faith, for supporting the podcast. Once again, if you pledge just a dollar a month on Patreon, you get cool perks like early access to all podcast episodes and bonus posts with behind-the-scenes thoughts and information about the stories. If you uh, support the podcast at $5 a month, you get a bonus episode. And I'll probably add some new perks once I get some more, you know, patrons, but we'll see. Um, You also get to know you're supporting me, which maybe makes you feel really good. I don't really make money doing the podcast right now, but I can cover my expenses at least. So last week, I told one of my favorite stories, the story of Gideon. I hope you enjoyed it. If you haven't listened to it, like go listen to it because I think it's really fun. This week, it is one of my least favorite stories. Why are you telling one of your least favorite stories? I can imagine my son Aiden asking. It is true that there are many other stories that would be really fun to tell that I haven't told yet, and I'm already working on one for next for next time. However, I'm telling this story today because it's a very popular story that you may have heard about. They even sell toys about it, which weirds me out. It might also weird you out once you've heard the story. It is the story of Noah's Ark, so I feel like I should tell it since it's so culturally important. I'm not entirely sure where to start for this story. The very beginning would be Adam and Eve, the mythical first humans. I did a whole episode on that, so give it a listen if you haven't. Adam and Eve got kicked out of the Garden of Eden, which was a perfect paradise, for disobeying the one rule God had given them. After that, they had kids. They had two sons. Well, first they had two sons. The first was called Cain, and then a second child, and his name was Abel. And he was a shepherd, but Cain was a farmer who grew crops. Then there came a time when they were expected to bring an offering to God. Abel killed a sheep from his flock and offered that. It may have been inspired by the animal God killed when he kicked Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. As Abel presented animals he had raised, Cain presented the fruits and vegetables he had raised to God. Now, the Lord liked Abel's offering, but he didn't like Cain's offering, and that made Cain angry and sad. And the Lord asked him, why are you mad and sad? And he told Cain that if he did the right thing, God would accept him, and if he didn't, then sin would take him over. Uh, Sin is like when you do something that God thinks is wrong. So he told Cain that Cain had to master his desire to sin. And I think we're supposed to assume that God had told them to offer animals and Cain already knew he wasn't doing what God wanted, but it's not really clear in the text. Um, Anyways, it's at this point that Cain had two major choices available. Do the right thing, you know, you can put air quotes around right, or don't do the right thing. Well, not only did he decide not to offer a different sacrifice, he decided to listen to his jealousy and jealousy and anger and unnecessarily escalated like the supervillain motto and squirrel girl squirrel meets world always be escalating that's when you go and make something way worse than it has to be so because cain was jealous of his brother he asked him to go to the field with him and then without any warning cain killed him and that's the first human death in the bible and then god asks uh Hey, Cain, where is your brother, the sheep keeper? And Cain is like, what, am I the brother keeper? And God said, you can laugh at that, but I I guess maybe you will feel bad since, you know, he did kill him. So anyway, God's like, uh, what have you done? Your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And then God cursed him and said, because he'd killed his brother, 
then Cain would no longer, and well, he said because he'd killed his brother and the ground had received his blood, then Cain would not be able to be a farmer and get food from the earth anymore. He would be a restless wanderer. And Cain was afraid, afraid that if he left his land and if he left God's presence and wandered around, he would be murdered. But God placed a mark on Cain, like some kind of tattoo, like some special God tattoo. I don't know. So that no one would kill him and Cain left. So uh, in those days, it seems like the Lord was still kind of hanging around on earth, even though Adam and Eve had left Eden. Um, and after that, Adam and Eve had more kids who had more kids. And yes, the brothers and sisters would have had to marry each other, which in most cultures is considered wrong and totally gross. But that's like all the people there were. So they didn't really have any other options. Well, except there were the Nephilim. Nephilim? I don't know. Who some people believe, um, the people who believe that Genesis is a science textbook and history textbook think maybe these were like fallen angels. And some people think maybe they were space aliens. And anyway, some of these mysterious Nephilim married some of the people, and then maybe their children were giants. It's like, it's like really hot de hotly debated in some circles. But anyway, the Nephilim and their giant offspring, possible giant offspring aside, there's like a lot of people living on the planet. Um, and they were, they were said to have lived for hundreds of years back then. So they were like a bunch of generations at once, although like... Like, one guy lived, like, 900-something years, but a lot of them didn't have their first child until they were, like, 100. So it's not, like, a ton of generations, but, like, a lot of people living with their grandparents or whatever. I don't know. And the, the violence that Cain started apparently did not stop there. And also, the men started marrying any woman they wanted to marry, and the Bible says that made God mad. Perhaps because the women didn't get a say in that. I mean, I don't know, because if you guys read the story of Hagar and Sarai, Hagar didn't get a lot of say in marrying Abram. But apparently this made God mad. It's not even like it's the polygamy, because Abraham had multiple wives. But, but I'm, I'm assuming that there's some sort of violence involved, because of the way it says they married any woman they wanted to. So, like, maybe the woman didn't get to say, and God actually had a problem with that. Um, and then, without giving actual details, the Bible says that the people were wicked and all of the people thought of nothing but evil things, of doing evil things all of the time, and all the animals were violent, and everything on the earth was violent, and God regretted that he had made them. So he'd made Adam and Eve, and they broke the one rule, and then he let them have children, and one had already broken a rule, and then killed the other child, and the breaking rules had kept going, and the violence had kept going, and God had totally had it. God said, all men were evil, and by men he meant, like, humans, mankind. And all animals were violent, and he was totally done, and he said, I will wipe off the face of the earth a man whom I created, together with the animals, creatures that crawl, and birds of the sky, I regret that I made all of them. However, one man called Noah found favor with God. And Noah had like a wife and three sons and they had wives. So God had this idea because he thought the earth was corrupt and full of violence and he was just going to destroy all of it. People, animals, earth, everything. But he would spare Noah because out of the whole world, God thought only Noah and his family deserved to live. Um, and also, I guess he didn't want to start over with creating everything. Um, 
he decided to spare two of every species of animal, like a male and female, so they would be able to breed. And then some species that he would want for offerings, he like told Noah to set aside more than two animals. But before he could do this, he was going to have to have a place to keep them all. So he asked Noah to build an ark. There's a couple ways the word ark is used nowadays. And one of them stems from the ark in this story. In science fiction stories, a spaceship carrying people or animals to safety, or carrying them away from danger at least, might be called an ark. That's because in this story, the ark was a large ship. The ocean kind, not the space kind. I mean, that would be cool though. It was a big boat with a roof on top, made of wood, and built for carrying people and animals. It wasn't carrying them to anywhere in particular, it was just going to carry them. Because here's what was going to happen. God was going to destroy everything on the planet with a massive flood that would cover the entire earth and everything would die except what was in the ark. And also, like, the fish and dolphins and stuff would probably be fine. So God tells Noah this. And Noah's just like, okay, I will build this boat so that I will survive. So he built the ark, and he gathered up plenty of any food that any creature ate. And God sent to him two of every kind of animal that lived on the earth, plus a few of the extra animals that God said were clean, so that they could be sacrificed to God, because God has his priorities in order here. Then Noah put all the food and all the creatures in the ark, and he gathered his wife, and he gathered his three sons and their wives, and they got on the boat. And um, God told Noah that in seven days he'd be sending the flood. So they waited there in the ark with all the animals. Um, as a side note, my translation of the Bible, uh, I think it's like the Holman, has done its best to translate the measurements. And it estimates that the ark was 450 feet long and 75 feet wide, which is about half as wide as a football field and like 90 feet longer than a football field. Not a football stadium, mind you, just the field. But this is a, you know, American football. And there were three stories of it, each 15 feet tall. So that's big, sure, but I don't know how big that is in the world of shipbuilding. But for a ship Noah built in the desert... I mean, I was told it was in the desert. That was, like, pretty big. But if you try to picture two of every single species on Earth, not much space. Christians who believe Genesis is a historical and scientific document try to make the sound scientifically possible by doing from some uh, fancy stepping around what constitutes an animal species and by assuming God miraculously made all the animals able to handle very packed quarters for what ended up, for what ended up being an entire year without needing to run around without trying to and without trying to eat each other. The article I found attempting to explain this said there's a theory that all animals have a latent hibernating ability and that it was probably, quote, supernaturally intensified. Here's my thought. If you can just factor in a supernatural explanation, I'm not sure why they're even bothering to say it's scientifically possible. Like, if you're going to say God miraculously made all the animals hibernate, how come God couldn't have just made it bigger on the inside like the TARDIS in Doctor Who or a Mary Poppins magic bag or the wizard tents of the Quidditch World Cup in Harry Potter? I mean, that would be really interesting, like a TARDIS arc. And there's just, it's basically just a huge zoo. And the animals all have so much space and it's fun. And there's like a fake sun in there. Um, that would be so much more interesting than they just slept the whole time. I mean, my eight-year-old could come up with way more interesting solutions if you're going to be like scrapping science but then you wouldn't be able to print and you're actually doing science so i guess that's the thing science aside to me the bigger problem with this story is that everyone telling it seems to be super okay with god destroying every living creature on earth except noah's family and a couple of each animal 
unlike maybe the fish. I think that's horrifying. To be honest, like, everyone was destroyed. Gone. Dead. Um, and we're just like, gotta make a little children's boat with little children's giraffes to play with in the bath. Like, that's kind of weird. Um, actually, flood myths are really common in, in, like, a lot of ancient cultures. Gods react badly to stuff. Life comes forth out of the water, that kind of thing. It's just that uh, most of those myths don't have people trying to put them into science textbooks like the one I used when I was homeschooled when I was a kid. Also, most of them don't have people saying, this god is the greatest being ever and everything he does is good. So that's kind of like why I'm a little more hard on this one. But anyway, uh, sorry for the massive diversion there. We will now continue the story. So... Um, God was going to destroy everything except the animals and humans on the ark. So they all gathered in and there's like this massive boat in the middle of the desert with a whole bunch of animals in it and eight people. And they're just sitting there. And a lot of people like to theorize that maybe Noah had neighbors who were like making fun of him. Like, what are you doing in this big boat in the desert? Um, and then God shut the door and the flood began. It rained, the floodwaters rose, and it kept raining, and the floodwaters kept rising for 40 days and 40 nights. I don't know about you, but once it's rained for about two days, I start to get tired of it. So I imagine Noah's, like, super tired of the rain. I mean, I like rain for, like, like two days, and then I'm like, where's the sunshine? And then it comes out, and I sneeze a whole lot. That's what happened last time. Anyway, the waters lifted up the ark so it began to float. The water covered even the tallest mountain and everything that wasn't in the ark was destroyed. And if anyone had been around outside the boat and realized, oh my gosh, it's flooding now, I wish we had a boat, uh, and they started knocking on the ark to get in, they would not be able to because God had shut the door. So the floodwaters covered the earth for 150 days. And then the Bible tells us God remembered Noah. Like, he remembered, oh yeah, there's an ark full of Noah and company floating around down there on the earth that's completely covered with water. So he's like, I better do something about this. I mean, this God is kind of weird, yeah. Interesting, but I don't know. So anyway, he remembers Noah and he causes a wind to pass over earth and eventually the flood water subsided. Where did that much water come from and where did it go? Nah, I'm sure like Answers in Genesis that tries to make science out of this has an explanation, but I just, it's a tall tale. There's water because God said there was water and now there's not water because God blew it away. It doesn't really need to make sense. Um, anyway, it, even with the magic wind blowing away the water, it took a long time. After another 150 days, the flood had decreased significantly and the ark stopped floating and came to rest on the top of a mountain called Mount Ararat, the first land in sight. Then Noah waited like another 40 days. 40 is a big number in the Bible. I couldn't tell you why. Uh, maybe you can Google it. I don't know. Um... Anyway, he sent out a raven, which is kind of like a crow, but they're supposed to be a little bigger and maybe even smarter. Crows are smart birds. Ravens are very smart birds. And this crow flew around, and then he sent out a dove, but um, 
The dove didn't have any place to rest, so she came back when she got tired. Then he waited another week and sent the dove out again, and she came back with a leaf from an olive tree in her beak. So Noah knew the water must have gone down even more. And after another week, he sent her out again, and this time she didn't return, and Noah realized the earth must be dry again. So that was about a year from the start of the flood, um, by the time God told Noah to come out of the ark. So everyone came out. Lizards crawled out, birds flew out, snakes slithered out, horses walked out, giraffes ducked their heads to get out, I'm imagining. Uh, then Noah built an altar to God and made a sacrifice killing of some of the animals that were called the clean animals. And uh, when God smelled the offering, he's like, oh yeah, that's the good stuff. And he said um, to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of man. And he promised that as long as there was the earth, there would be planting time and harvest time, summer and winter, cold and heat, day and night, and those would never stop. And then he blessed Noah and told Noah that he and his sons should get busy and they should each have lots of babies with their wives and cover the earth with humans again. And now instead of just eating plants, they can eat meat too. Then God put a rainbow in the sky and promised Noah a promise that would go to his children and their children and every human ever and every living thing that God would never again destroy the entire planet with a flood. And every time Noah's children could see the rainbow, they'd know the earth wouldn't be destroyed. God himself, when he saw his rainbow when it rained, he would remember that he wasn't supposed to flood the earth again. And uh, while, as I keep pointing out, maybe that's not the best story for sciencing, it might have been a really good story to tell your kids during a rainy day in ancient times if you want to scare them out of getting violent with their siblings, lest they make God angry. But you also want to reassure them that the earth is not going to be destroyed, even though it seems like a lot of rain. Um... As for God and his relationship to humans, this doesn't really resolve it. It continues to be pretty rocky for the rest of Genesis. Um, and like everyone decides to build a tower to heaven and then God changes their languages and scatters them. Um, and then uh, all the Abraham stuff happens later. It, it's uh, The whole story of the Bible is really about God's relationship to humans. So like it stays rocky. Um, I guess you got to have the drama. But God keeps his promises and does not flood the planet, though. He does send a drought later in Genesis, though, because, like, when you can control the weather and not the hearts of humans, you've got to work with what you've got. Uh, I don't know. Come back in two weeks for the story of Elijah the prophet. Oh, and there's a drought in that story that God causes. And Elijah gets in trouble for it. Long story, you'll have to come back. Um, so that'll be in two weeks. Um, I'm taking another break because, like, to be honest, the holidays kind of kicked my butt and I'm kind of behind. So, um, but I'll be back and hopefully at some point I'll get back to the normal schedule of doing one story a week. But anyway, two weeks, Elijah, the prophet, calling down fire from heaven as part of a competition with prophets of some other god. In the meantime, like, I have so many good episodes up. Am, am I allowed to say that? But, um, I, I, like... Except for the David and Goliath story, a lot of people haven't listened to the rest of the David saga, the next three episodes, and some of those are really interesting. I like the Saul one, to be honest. Um, and then, of course, the David and Jonathan one is excellent. And then the one that David becomes a king is kind of a downer, but it's got the interesting drama with Saul again, so, you know, I like it. 
And um, I can't remember, but like, go check, see what you haven't listened to yet, so you can keep yourself entertained. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I'll be back in two weeks with the alleged story. Our theme music is Wholesome by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution. Until next time, shine on, Star Child. <laughs>